Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, the Palette Skills Digital Agriculture Specialist Program was created to prepare people for jobs in the agriculture sector in many areas, including farm robotics, agriculture automation, and even food processing. Program Manager Ednali Fertuk Zahavi says it was designed to prepare people with already some post-secondary education with the skills they need for jobs in the agriculture sector. Ednali will explain more about the program and share with us how an upcoming networking event can connect participants with potential employers. Saskatchewan Agriculture is forecasting some hot spots in the province for wheat midge this year. With the loss of some products that producers would normally use to control the pest, there are concerns about control options. Kurt Prince with the Saskatchewan Seed Growers Association says producers still have options for growing wheat midge tolerant varieties. He says, and farmers should be making arrangements now to secure their seed for the 2023 growing season. After the break, Ednali Furtak Zahavi. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Ednali Furtak Zahavi is the program manager for Pallet Skills, and we're going to be talking about uh, the digital agriculture specialist program that was launched last spring. Uh, Ednali, a very exciting program, uh, especially for the agriculture sector and providing some help for Saskatchewan companies that are particularly interested in having those people with those special skills in ag tech. So maybe first of all, let's start with uh, talking about this particular program and uh, what you're hoping to accomplish with it. The program is addressing the labor gap that exists in the agriculture sector, mostly in Saskatchewan. And we're talking about the agri-food sector. Uh, when we're looking into the sector and its development, especially in the past five years, we see a lot of automation and digitization involving almost every aspect. So that created a gap that when uh, people are looking for uh, high-skilled employees that have uh, good understanding of the agri-food sector and also has this inclination to understand technologies and automation development and are mostly like so in in general looking into that we see that the main gap uh, was coming in the mid-level specialist and mid-level management not necessarily in the entry level and uh, that's something that uh, came repeatedly with all the uh, in-depth interview that we had before starting the program. So the program was developed by the industry for the industry. We even asked them to contribute and they still do contribute a lot of content. They review our curriculum. They make sure that um, we identify, speci- so they identify for us specifically where are the gaps for um, for specific niche professions. Um, and we developed the program around that. So the way we, we train people is we identify, first of all, the first part, and this is the hardest part, is to identify those unique talents that are high-skilled, high-trained, um, that has this uh, can-do attitude and a lot of transferable skills that can be either that coming already from the agri-food sector and just need a little bit more of training 
or they're coming from external in, uh, industries, from other industries, and we just train them on the domain expertise of the agri-food sector, uh, together with uh, the current automation and digitization that's happening and all the disruptive technology that's happening, and uh, we match them with employers. So the first part of that was the main challenge was to really identify those unique talents, and we were very lucky to identify those talents. We had many applicants, and uh, the second cohort was uh, 40 students. Uh, it's still been going. We're, we're just uh, at the first first phase of the cohort. We're almost on the first phase. Now it's the second. Uh, it is uh, eight weeks long and, uh, and 130 hours of training. We have a lot of um, hands-on training, a lot of uh, uh, in-person, but most of the cohort, sorry, is, uh, most of the training is being done online, but some things cannot be trained online, especially when it comes to hands-on training, right? Um, they really need to see those facilities and understand those automations and see the implementation, for example, of robotics in dairy or, uh, or in processing facilities. Now, we do see a lot of people that come from a farming background, like I have, um, that have a good understanding of the industry, but we're talking a lot about now about people that maybe have don't have that experience, have great training and have great education background, and this is providing them now with the agricultural component that will hopefully draw them into the industry? So originally, when the industry was struggling with this uh, shortage, the first thing they were trying to do is they were trying to identify people with backgrounds similar to you, right, that were exposed to agriculture in the prairies and uh, and the development also, but that come also with uh, with a technology knowledge, right, right. and automation knowledge. And that's where the gap started being bigger, because you can't find a lot of people that grew up on a farm and has this tendency and also want to work in that sector. Usually people that grew up on the farm and has this technology um, inclination and automation either graduate for that to other sectors, we've seen that a lot, or uh, they just keep on working in their farm and they're not really interested in, in being supportive role in the industry for the development, right? Right, absolutely. And that's the main gap. So what do you do in that, in that sense? So the program... Uh, specifically touch base on that. How do we train people that did not grow up on the farm? How do we give them that domain expertise that for you probably seemed like you've seen it all, right? I'm guessing. I don't know about, <laughs> much about your farm. But, but if, if I'm talking to you about a sprayer and the amazing technologies of the recent sprayers that, that are in the market, and uh, you would know how a sprayer looks like, how big it is, and you would understand what it needs to be doing. But when you would explain that, when you're taking someone from, let's say, the tech sector and say, and right now those sprayers are, are outstanding, they have a lot of uh, Internet of Things technology, they have uh, machine learning and AI automations all over it, they have, uh, so they even they identify specific um, spots where they need to spray, they have a lot of data collection, a lot of data processing, they're really fully automated and the capacity of working with them is outstanding. When you're taking someone that is tech savvy and you talk to them about that, they can understand it only from the technical perspective, but they don't understand the concept of the agriculture and what really useful. They don't understand the real right. pain point of the of the industry. And then what we're left is with people that are developing solutions for problems that don't really exist, or people that are trying to answer problems for solutions that uh, trying to answer problems with with solutions that are not really taking advantage of their recent technology development or even five years ago technology development. And that program just matching those two, taking people with this 
uh, capacity. They're coming from different sectors, training them on the main expertise of agriculture, agri-food, I would say, in the province. So in that specific sector, specific in to, to the prairies, because it's such a unique environment for agriculture, right? Like, if you come and talk to someone from Ontario and tell them about your agricultural practices that you grew up with, you get totally different answers, because it, it managed in a different way and has different restrictions, different requirements. So we want to really train people, and that's what we do. We train people on those domain expertise. So that's where we match that gap. And as you mentioned, uh, the first cohort, you had 18 participants, the second cohort 40, which is very impressive. So as these participants complete the program, now the next part is to match them with uh, employers. So uh, tell me about that process. It's very interesting how you uh, really take a lot of care in finding the right people for the right organizations or businesses. Now, matching with employers is also sort of an art because we want to make sure we match them, not just for a job. Finding a job, they can probably find on their own, but matching them for successful careers to that employer when they are reaching out to me and say, and we do that on, on almost a daily basis. I get employer reaching out to me. I need to fill up urgently this job. I've been looking for this person. And then we're having a chat with them and we're understanding really their pain point. So what they're looking for is not what they have on their list of the ad. What they're looking for is specific personality, specific attitude, specific knowledge. And we have that resource. So we're not really recruiters, but we have this insight into our um, into our attendees and insight into those employers, this intimate relationship that we can match them up for successful successful career from the uh, attendees part and from the employer's part for really a successful operation. They can leverage that because a good team player is priceless. Uh, and that's what we want to provide to the industry. It's that capability of growth. So now to get that job done, uh, getting the participants matched uh, to businesses, uh, you host networking events uh, that connect these two uh, businesses and the ones that have been taking this uh, digital agriculture course. So tell us about the networking events and um and how they work and maybe give us a sense of how successful they've been. So those events are um, for some of the employer partners that we have. This is their first uh, point of interaction with our students. Um, some say that it's like almost like speed dating, but it's not really like that. It's <laughs> a conversation, initiating conversation. It's an opportunity for students to engage with employers, ask them questions, ask them specific questions about their companies, about the project that they're leading, about the needs, really understanding better the industry, but also opportunity to show their uh, their skills and what they're looking for and for employers to really meet with, uh, with our attendees and and even see who is going to be a good match for their team, because it's not if you're if you would if they would only hire for um, for the aptitude, I would say things would be different, right? Because then only you just need to send a resume if you check those boxes and that's it, you you get uh, an employee, right? But we need to hire for attitude first. And that's what all the employers kept on telling us. We want a good match for our team, not just someone that has those capabilities, but a good match. And this gives them a first interaction and almost like, uh, like having a coffee chat between two people for eight minutes each. And they can talk about things, see if they're if they're already a good match. Uh, from the last networking day that we had, we did have some good uh, uh, starting of conversations that ended up with uh, developing positions specifically for those uh, attendees. 
They did not have available positions and they developed it specifically for that. So that was a success. It will be great to see that happening. But I think what I'm really reaching out to see is that engagement, to see that the industry see the potential in those in those uh, participants and those participants see the potential in working with that industry and finding that fine line between, you know, how do I want to grow? Uh, how do I want to grow as an individual into uh, in, in a certain specific group uh, with a certain company, right? And how that uh, that company or hiring manager want to grow their team. So it's kind of exchanging of this knowledge. Thanks, Ed Nolly. And just to give you a sense of some of the companies that are signed up uh, to attend our or participate, rather, in some of these networking events, um, organizations and businesses like Borgo Industries, Eberhardt Farms, Bear, Nutrien, Viterra, and Federated Cooperatives. The next networking event is this coming Friday, March 3rd. And if you would like to get more information about the program itself or be involved in the networking event, you can go to their website, palletskills.org forward slash agtech. After the break, Kurt Prince, the president of the Saskatchewan Seed Growers Association, will talk about concerns about some hotspots for wheat midge in Saskatchewan and how growing those midge-tolerant varieties can help out a producer. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. There are several areas of concern as far as wheat midge potential in Saskatchewan for the 2023 growing season. Kurt Prince is president of the Saskatchewan Wheat Growers Association. Kurt, tell us why it's important to be growing wheat midge resistant varieties. SaskAg publishes a forecast every year and they're forecasting some significant hot spots of midge, especially on the east side of the province, but also um, throughout the province towards North Battleford, Lloyd Minster. So, yeah, that forecast would be kind of an increase compared to what we've seen in the last few years, for sure. Now, the challenge for producers will be uh, control, because after this year, one of their best products is not going to be registered any longer. So we're talking about the active ingredients in products like Lorsban, Nufos, and Citadel. There is another option, but it's probably not quite in that same league. Yeah, that's correct. And we know any insecticide isn't ideal. These are broad-range insecticides that can be harmful to beneficials in the field, as well as the targeted wheat midge. And insecticides have a narrow window of application and aren't always the most user-friendly product to use. Now, the other option is planting a midge-tolerant variety. Uh, those have been around for quite a while now, haven't they? Yes, the first Mitch Tolan varieties were registered around 10 years ago. And what was done at the time to make sure that they were able to maintain their effectiveness? A midge tolerant variety is a varietal blend, meaning they're composed of approximately 90% of a variety that has the SM1 gene that makes it resistant to uh, wheat midge, and then 10%, what we call uh, refuge variety which is susceptible to uh, wheat midge and what that does uh, it prevents a buildup of naturally occurring resistant 
in the Mitch population across the province, there's a small percent that are resistant to the SM1 gene, which means they're unaffected by it. And without the use of this uh, refuge variety and uh, the varietal ends, we'd see a quick buildup of them uh, resistant Mitch. Are there a lot of those varieties available for producers? Oh, several. In all the popular uh, wheat classes, including Durham, there's several options that are, you know, among the best, not only for um, midge resistance, but uh, disease, yield, not a lot of drawbacks growing a midge tolerant variety. So even if you grow wheat fairly often, you can still get a pretty decent rotation out of it? Yes, for sure. Uh, uh, farmers that have tight wheat rotations would uh, definitely benefit from uh, niche taller wheat variety. Now, my understanding is that when you buy a varietal blend, you have to sign a stewardship agreement. Uh, why is that? How does that work? Yes, yeah, so when you buy a Mitch Tolerant variety, you have to sign a stewardship ag- agreement that says you'll only save seed from the first generation to reseed. And that is because we know uh, mid are attacking the refuge variety, and then that reduces the percentage of refuge variety in the, the blend you have. So we don't want to see uh, that refuge go away, and then, which would correspond with a buildup of the uh, resistant mid. What about availability, Kurt? Is there a lot of this seed available uh, around the province? Any problems getting it? Yeah, I think seed supplies are decent of midge tolerant varieties, but I would, if I was a farmer, I would want to start talking to my trusted seed suppliers uh, sooner rather than later to secure supply. And is there anything else we need to know, Kurt? I would just add that uh, growing a midge tolerant wheat is a very um, financially responsible decision farmers can make, and it allows them not to worry about spring mid later on in the year so it's nice to deal with the problem now compared to june or july kurt prince is president of the saskatchewan seed growers association here are the top agriculture stories from the week of february 20th 2023 Farm Credit Canada and the U.S. Department of Agriculture reported more than two-thirds of the American cattle herd was in an area affected by drought, leading to the largest contraction of the North American cattle herd in a decade. Experts said the drought and other extreme weather events have beef farmers on both sides of the border thinning their herds in near-record numbers. They're worried that could lead to supply problems in the beef industry over the longer term, as climate change makes the drought, flooding and wildfires more common. A grain movement analyst said January was a month of ups and downs in grain shipped by rail. Milt Poirier with QGI Consulting said grain movement was poor at Christmas, saw some recovery in early January, but fell far behind later in the month. Poirier said that rail car order fulfillment at the end of January reached only 55% on CP Rail, the worst of the crop year, while CN was 72%. 
He said cars tend to slow down this time of year, and performance has been uneven with a downward trend. He added the highest rate of prairie grain shipments by rail was in Manitoba, the worst in Saskatchewan. A Ukrainian farmer said Canadian grain storage supplies arrived just in time to save crops from rotting in their fields after the Russian invasion blocked the ports used to export those goods. Ole Hez runs a farm in a small town near the border with Poland, far from the front lines of the war, but said the conflict made the last growing season incredibly difficult. He said the cost of diesel and fertilizers have gone up, and with the Black Sea effectively blocked most of the year, farmers had far fewer options to sell their harvest. He said he is aware of some farms that went bankrupt, but says he's been able to hold on to his grain and export it to Poland during the winter when it was more profitable to offset extra costs. Help came in the form of grain bags as part of an aid partnership between Canada, Japan and the United States. Representatives from Soy Canada recently returned from their first in-person mission since 2019. The mission connected the soy industry with customers in Japan, Malaysia and Vietnam to share the latest about Canadian soybeans and hear what's of most value to them. A delegation of 26 Canadian representatives met with more than 220 current and potential customers to develop markets for Canadian soybeans. Exporter and producer members of Soy Canada heard firsthand the quality specifications customers are looking for when purchasing soybeans, visited manufacturing facilities to see how Canadian soybeans are processed, and share how the latest developments in the industry provide value for customers. USASC Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization has been invited to join an elite group of biocontainment facilities, the only one from outside of the United States. The Research Alliance for Veterinary Science and Biodefense Network includes Vito and 18 other biocontainment facilities, and its headquarters is at Texas A&M University. Vito's Director of Business Development, Dr. Paul Hodgson, said there will be meetings in the near future to explore opportunities for Vito and USASC to partner with the network. A key part of the focus is on livestock and wildlife. And Green Fox launched a machine learning and AI-based smart advisor platform. It uses a combination of input from analytical teams, current and historical market data, regional aggregate data, insights into its network along with producers' cash flow goals, storage constraints, and risk tolerance. GrainFox founder and CEO Mark Lepp said the only technology of its kind in North America and it has the ability to offer sales recommendations personalized to each farm based on how the sale of each crop in a farmer's portfolio interacts with another. GrainFox also offers other tools including a return on investment calculator, cash flow planner, a sales and inventory tracker and a resource hub containing market analysis and geopolitical commentary. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.